Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Don't you hate missed opportunities? Today, we'll look at Luke 21 and see how we can be divine opportunists as Jesus shows us how to take advantage of our circumstances and situations to shine forth the gospel. part one of Cheryl's message titled Divine Opportunist. Have you ever met an opportunist? You know, these are the people that know how to take advantage of circumstances, time, conditions, things that you say. I think about the carpet beggars during the Civil War. They came in after the South was absolutely defeated and they took advantage of those people in the South and they were enriched personally by the destruction of the South. Now, they did it for themselves. They did it for self-enrichment. And it was, it was cruel. But at the same time, God wants to make us divine opportunists. You see, an opportunist is always alert to his surroundings and knows how to utilize the situation. So Jesus in Luke chapter 21, is calling us to be divine opportunists. We are to take advantage of the circumstances, the time we have left, the prevailing conditions to give the testimony and shine forth the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this chapter, we have a synopsis of the things that are going to happen. Now, the disciples ask Jesus two questions. And it's these two questions, actually Matthew records three questions, that Jesus is answering in Luke chapter 21. They ask, when will these things be? When will every stone be cast down from the temple? And when will these things or the judgment that is going to herald your return to earth and the kingdom of God being set up on earth, What are the signs we're to look for to be prepared? So Jesus answers these questions with warnings about the immediate future. But the immediate future that the disciples would experience also foreshadows the times that will herald the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again to earth in triumph to set up his kingdom. So the picture of what is to come is terrifying. It is literally terrifying. I know people that are like, I don't read Luke 21 or Revelation. I I just don't go there. Well, okay, bully for you. It's terrifying. There's deception. There's false messiahs. There's wars. There's commotions. There's earthquakes in various places. 
famines, pestilence, fearful sights, great signs in heaven, persecution, arrests of believers, trials in courts of all levels of government, signs in the sun, signs in the moon, distress of nations with perplexity or no way out, national crisis with no answer, solutions or recovery, oceanic upheavals, tsunamis, tidal waves, flooding. None of this sounds like our time, so don't worry. Ha ha. LOL. Heart attack, anxiety, and rampant fear. Yet the disciples of Jesus are not to be deceived by what is to come. They're not to fear what is to come. They're not to try to numb themselves by drunkenness or carousing or distraction for what is to come. Rather, the disciples of Jesus are to be divine opportunist. They are to use the circumstances, the time, and the condition as an occasion, according to verse 13, to give testimony. But there are three preparations that we see in this chapter for becoming a divine opportunist. And it is one, give everything to Jesus. In order to be prepared for what is about to transpire, to be fully used by the Lord, you've got to give everything to Jesus. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Secondly, you've got to rely completely on Jesus. And finally, watch and pray. Now you could take that as two separate ones, but the watching is to lead us to praying. We're to watch for his signs. We're to watch for opportunities. And before we step out or do anything, we're to pray. Because prayer is what opens up the doors of opportunity. So number one, give everything to Jesus. In Luke 21, one through four, the chapter begins with the story of a widow who gives everything to Jesus. Now this isn't like, wow, this is, you know, what does a widow have to do with end times? But here's a woman who is impoverished. And in her circumstances that are hard, that are impoverishing, that are full of deficit, no husband, no support, no money, she gives everything to Jesus. You see, sometimes we don't give because we think we have nothing to give. But she took all that she had, two mites. And instead of saying, well, what is this gonna do for the kingdom of God? How can this be used? She took all that she had and gave it to Jesus. So the way, the way to be prepared for the things that are going to transpire is to first give everything that you have to Jesus, whether this means your time, your energy, your money, your life, it's that Lord, this belongs to you. Romans 12, 1. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren or sisters, by the mercy of God, because of all God's mercy to you, because everything you have is because of God's mercy, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. My dad used to love to tell this story about the offering bag coming around one of the ushers. I never quite got whether this happened at Calvary or some other church. He was very kind of um, unclear about that. But this man said, put it lower, put it lower to the usher. And he says, put it so low that I can get in it. You know, what God wants is 
our lives, our everything. And this widow was giving everything to the Lord. And that's what God wants. Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Unless we give everything to Jesus, we will always be afraid of losing something. Unless it's already committed to Jesus, there's going to be that fear of loss. And that fear of loss will keep us from being prepared for what is to come. That fear of loss will keep us from being able to capitalize on the situations we find ourselves in to share the gospel. Because unless we get everything to Jesus, we'll be preoccupied with what we own and it will weigh us down. It will keep us from being divine opportunist. So we are to give everything to Jesus generously, sacrificially, joyfully, because this is the first step to fully relying on Jesus. As we move into verses 5 through 26, we recognize that full reliance on Jesus is what is necessary. We, like the disciples, have many false trusts. We have many things that we put our faith into. The disciples, like the other nationals in Israel, had faith in the temple. As long as the temple stood, they felt safe. They felt like their relationship with God was all right. Even before Babylon in 586 invaded Israel, Israel was trusting in their temple. They said, nothing can happen to us as long as the temple stands. Doesn't matter if we're idolaters and we're not even worshiping God and we're just going to the temple in pretense, but we're still offering sacrifices. Nothing can happen to us because there's the temple. We today have those same false trusts. Sometimes we trust in the church building. We trust in our jobs or our education, the colleges, We trust in our government. These disciples looked at the stones and adornments on the temple, even pointing them out to Jesus because these stones of the temple were absolutely massive. Today, you can go and still see some of those stones tumbled over that once were part of the temple. These stones begin at about 80 tons 80 tons. Now remember, each ton is 2,000 pounds, right? Think of that, 80 tons. And some weigh up to 630 tons. 630. So imagine Jesus looking, you know, looking back at those stones with the disciples and saying, you see those massive stones? Not one is going to remain on the other. They probably went, (laughs) right? Tell me another one. But Jesus said, not one stone will rest on another one. Some of these stones reach a height of 100 feet in some sections where they were stacked on each other. There was a retaining wall of these stones around the temple just to protect the temple so the stones of the temple could never fall down because of this retaining wall. The stones were up to 41 feet long, up to 15 feet wide, and up to 11 and a half feet high. I mean, I have seen these stones and they are massive. I mean, massive is like an understatement. And Jesus said, do you see these? 
They look so substantial. You're trusting in them. You think that nothing could ever happen to them. I'm telling you, not one will be left on another. The disciples must have been amazed at this. We don't recognize the false trusts in our life until they are threatened or taken away. Did you realize that fear is a sign of a misplaced trust? Fear. It's when that thing that we've been trusting in is threatened or taken away, all of a sudden, fear comes in. And we realize, oh my goodness, I was trusting in that thing, rather in the Lord. We don't realize that we're trusting in money until we get the bills or we do our income taxes. We don't realize that we've been trusting in our houses until they need repairs or we have to move. We don't realize that we've been trusting in people, a family member, a friend, or a spiritual leader or mentor or political leader until they retire, move, or die. We don't realize we're trusting in an institution, a school, a church, a business, a company, nation, until it closes down. We don't realize we're trusting in a place or location until it's unavailable, we can't get there, or the topography changes. That's when we realize, oh my goodness, nothing is sure. Nothing is substantial. Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for the time to come. The time to come is going to take full reliance on Jesus. Now, how can we be prepared for the time to come? Now, I know that as women, we're like, yes, tell me how to be prepared. Because we women love to be prepared, right? You know, men take backpacks. We take suitcases, right? Men carry wallets. No, we carry duffel bags disguised as purses. We want to be ready for everything, We have in our purses, I'm just going to do like, how many of you have a sewing kit in your purse? Bless you for that, because I do too. How many have nail files? Right, good girls. How many have clippers, just in case you never, oh, I love you. How many have scissors? Oh, yes, see? How much, how many of you have extra money? Like you have your money, then you have your secret money. The money that your husband can't get to. Like he knows to open up the wallet, but then there's that pocket. Okay, I'm guilty. I actually have three secret monies because my daughter found out about one. How many of you have a Swiss army knife? Woo! How many of you have Kleenex? Just, oh, perfect. How many of you have extra makeup? Perfect. How many of you have mirrors? Okay. How many of you have makeup remover? Just in case. You don't? I do. How many of you have vitamins? Okay. How many of you have a spatula? Okay, I did. Now, it was because I was at a shower and somebody said, hey, do you want a spatula? And I said, yes. So I stuck it in my purse and forgot about it for three weeks. It's like, I was at a party and they're like, does anyone, I need a spatula. I'm like, not to worry. I pulled mine out. They're like, how did you know? How many of you have safety pins? And you're, see, I love you. We're prepared. All right, we're prepared. My mom, oh, how many of you have a bottle of water? Just in case, yes. Okay, in case the nuclear fallout, we've got our water. We are ready. My mom used to keep a thermal blanket in the trunk of her car. 
water bottles in the trunk of our car. Um, how many of you, which is crazy for California, but have those, um, those bags that you can break apart and warm your hands with? Hand warmers. Okay, see, I love you girls. See, we are prepared, right? As women, we want to, some of you are going, I need to put that in my purse. I didn't know that was a possibility. That's why our purses weigh so much. Oh, how many of you have an extra Bible, a purse Bible in your, in your, oh, good for you. I have that too. In fact, I lost my other purse Bible. I, one of you probably has it, but I had bought a new purse Bible and this purse Bible has extra large print in a purse Bible. Who can resist that? And it has like the magnetic clothes on it so that all the pages don't get all wrinkled up. How many have a notebook? Okay, how many of you have more than one pin? In case you lose one pin, you'll have the other. Oh, I love that. It's because we want to be prepared. So if we want to be prepared for everyday life, right? For a drive in the car, a trip to the market, going to church, lunch with our friends. You know, seriously, what do you, <laughs> when are you going to use that sewing kit at the market? You know? Or the clippers, excuse me, (laughs) my nails, (laughs) real quick, and then I'll get the soup can. You know, but we're prepared, right? Shouldn't we be prepared for the future, for these things that Jesus said will absolutely happen? You see, we are prepared for things we don't know if they're going to happen. But when he is giving us the signs, he has given us everything we need to be prepared. Prepared. So first of all, he tells us that these times there will be deception. Verse 8. There will be men saying they're the, they're the Messiah. They'll be full of commotion and upheaval and natural disaster and cosmic disaster. And during these times, we need to be fully reliant on Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Jesus says, see that you are not terrified. So the first thing that we need to be prepared is there's going to be terrifying things and we need to be prepared for those so we're not terrified. I have told you this before. I absolutely hate suspense. And I love Netflix because I can go to the end of the program, find out what's going to happen. Everything turns out right, then go back to the middle again. You know, Brian and I were watching NCIS last night and he goes, oh, this is suspenseful. I go, go to the end, go to the end. He goes, I am not going to the end. You're going to watch this. I'm like, oh, I'm going to close my eyes. You know, but I want to know what's happening at the end. That's, as I said before, that's why I love the Bible. I go straight to Revelation, then I can go back and read. I want to know Jesus is coming and everything is going to be all right. But 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says again, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We don't need to be terrified because that spirit of being terrified is not from the Lord. But as we're fully reliant on the Lord and his spirit, he gives us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. He prepares us by his spirit when we're fully reliant on him. Jesus knows these times are coming. They are a certainty. So we are to know the certainty of these times and to be prepared for false messiahs. Between the time of Jesus' resurrection and the destruction of Jerusalem, Josephus tells us of over 20 different recorded false messiahs that rose up. Some were zealots, some were of the sacri, others were just, you know, unknown Egyptians, 
Alexandrian Jews that rose up and said they had the answers to the problems in Jerusalem. And they rose up and tried to lead the people of Israel, claiming to be their Messiah. If we do not look to Jesus for our power, for our love, for our sound mind, we will be terrified, terrified of loss, terrified of persecution, terrified of things to come, terrified of tomorrow. But as we rely and lean into Jesus, we will be prepared by prophecy. What he has told us will happen. We will be prepared by his power, prepared by his presence, and prepared by his person, who he is, and how he walked through these things. So we need to fully rely on Jesus' wisdom. Verse 12, Jesus said to the disciples, before the end of time, you're going to be persecuted and delivered up to synagogues and prisons and tried before kings and rulers. This is going to happen. Men are going to lay their hands on you. They're going to persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And we see this come to pass in the book of Acts. Peter and John in Acts 3 and 4, they were tried before priests and elders and rulers. Peter and James were put in prison in Acts chapter 12. Paul had numerous occasions in the book of Acts before Festus, Felix, and Herod. And one that is not recorded in Acts, but recorded in Timothy, that he appeared before Nero. He tells us in Philippians chapter 1 that because he was imprisoned, he got to appear before Nero and all of the palace guard heard the gospel. Paul was prepared, prepared. And he was reliant on God's wisdom. And therefore, he was not panicked, paralyzed, but able to preach. Jesus told his disciples that when these arrests came, they were to use these arrests, these court trials, as an opportunity a divine opportunity to testify to the gospel. They were not to predetermine what they were going to say. Oh, this is so difficult for me as a woman like you. I'm not going down alone. I've told you that before. We're going to go down together and rise again together. But how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many of you make mental notes, mental emails, write mental articles or letters to the newspaper or lectures in your mind, or you say to yourself, this is what I would say if I was in that circumstance. This is what I would say to this person. This is how I would share to that person. And what does the Lord say? Uh, 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 uh. Because I want to give you a greater wisdom. I want to give you a wisdom that is irresistible, that even your enemies cannot ignore, cannot acknowledge. Now, for me as a woman, this is so important because I have noticed that even the dog ignores what I say. You know, Brian calls the dog the dog. And yesterday I said, Barnabas, no. And you know what that dog did? He ran across the street to a little white poodle. And that the white poodle owners had to walk back to my house in order to get Barnabas to come back. And I'm sitting there going, Barnabas, come. Barnabas, now. Barnabas, 
chicken, bone, bread, beach, walk, all the magic words. And Barnabas is like, white poodle. <laughs> He's always lived for a white poodle. You know, and he's like, hey, hey, white poodle. I mean, it was, he was not paying any attention to me. As women, we are so seldom heard. But Jesus wants to fill even us with this irresistible wisdom. Don't you want that when you're talking to your children? Irresistible wisdom, like they're, mom, you have the words of life. Where else would I go? Certainly not to dad. You know, we want this. In Luke 21, we see how Jesus prepared the disciples for life after his departure and for the opportunities that would come. He used the parable of the widow and the two mites to encourage them to give all they had to the Lord and to hold nothing back. As believers today, we need to do the same. Unless we give everything to Jesus, we will always be afraid of losing something. Unless all we have is committed to Jesus, there will be a fear of loss, and that will keep us from being divine opportunists. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how we need full reliance on Jesus as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.